leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Hey, security peeps. We are back with another edition of Breaking LinkedIn with Breaking into Cybersecurity in Hacker Valley Studio. I am Renee Small, Cybersecurity Super Recruiter, helping awesome people get into opportunities and leaders hire awesome people. My co-host, Chris, say hi to everybody. Hey, everyone. Short and sweet. <laughs> we got man all of, our Chris's here today. <laughs> Hacker Valley Chris, go for hey, it. Hey, I'm here, everybody. Chris Cochran, Hacker Valley Studio. Another beautiful day, another beautiful Friday. Glad to be here. Awesome. And Ron, who holds it down every week, yes. regardless. <laughs> every week. I'm glad to have both Chris's here by my side. But for anyone that doesn't know me, Ron Eddings from the Hacker Valley Studio co-host by night um security architect by day awesome so what are what's our what's our topic for today i had so much good discussions yesterday there's been so many things happening you got mm -hmm. twitter stuff you got microsoft stuff you got job description stuff oh man so many yeah. things to talk about we Wish need to we need to put it in the hat and just pick it out maybe maybe the first comment will uh tell us which one <laughs> <laughs> George wants to know what you're holding down. <laughs> <laughs> holding down LinkedIn. We we nearly broke it a few times, so uh, that's what we're doing. <laughs> Let's talk about the Twitter stuff real quick. Cool. Yes. yes. What, the power so, of God mode. Oh, my gosh. What an in, incredible and the worst possible way uh, situation for Twitter. Um, it So, basically... All of the the verified, just about all of the verified, at least the powerful verified uh, folks got hijacked and they used it to do a Bitcoin scam. So what do you guys think about that? Like, so there was a lot of people talking about if like if they had that power, like they should have used it for something else, something more more devious. And some people think that this was a ploy. This is just kind of like a distraction from what they were really trying to do. What do you guys think? Um. A, I think it's it show, it highlights the control the gap in controls that many people don't think about um, social engineering, mm -hmm. insider threats, and and the power of God mode. Um, when I worked as a help desk individual, I would I would ensure that people had different accounts that their regular account didn't have access to certain things that they're even their their um, privileged account didn't have access to everything. They had to request privilege. Um, and I, I, I think this just highlights um, one of those practices that might not have been in play because they're an internal tool that had the, the possibility to troubleshoot 
um, any verified account was used to um, spread spam. I'll just call it like that. <laughs> I think it does pose a great question. Is this, you know, something else? Because with that much power, that much reach, uh, right. we saw that they made money. Like, sure, they made uh, quite a bit of cash, but it wasn't really... Uh, I don't think that the risk was worth the reward in this situation. And also at the same time, you know, we got to see there was some other vulnerabilities that came out through Microsoft. So it, it does serve as a good question. Like, was this covering up for something going on behind the scenes, like leveraging the the fact that a CVE was reported and, and exploiting that? And maybe that's actually how they could have uh, accomplished that type of takeover in the first place. I was reading some of the comments on Twitter um, and it's funny because some of the AppSec people there were like, you know, it's, it, it could be, it could be that it's a distraction for something mm -hmm. else, something bigger uh, or something more devious, or it could be that, you know, this is what they found and this was like quick and dirty and easy. And it, it's kind of funny because some of the AppSec folks were saying, oh, you, you'd be surprised, like some of the things that we find and people, there's these vulnerabilities and they, they go into one account or they do one thing. Like it's it's not always a big, huge, um, you know, they it's some, I guess, don't always have a master plan. So that, that was interesting. I was reading about some of the folks, reading some of the comments um, afterwards. My two cents is that it's a script kitty that had a half hatch plan of a get rich quick scheme and they they knew it wouldn't be long lived um with a company like twitter that's right. that public and they just mm -hmm. wanted to get in get what they could and get out yeah I, I think i would i would have loved to have been a fly on the wall during that incident response at, at twitter i I'm, I'm sure it was you know devastating everybody was hands on deck i'm sure uh and and i i hate it for him because that's such a, a visible problem you know across the board because now not only do you have everybody on twitter that knows about it but then i'm sure all the media outlets grabbed it like super quick uh, but yeah I'm, I'm glad everything's handled now at least uh it, it seems to be well uh you couldn't tweet for a while you couldn't reset your password and i i love this comment right here those that couldn't tweet for several hours had the opportunity to get some real work done <laughs> <laughs> That is true. But I think it, it has several lessons to be learned there. A, from the user perspective, like it's social engineering. Um, the scheme is too good to be true. It's coming from an unlikely source. It's coming, it's asking for something that's highly unlikely. There's a time pressure of 30 minutes to get it done. And like, those are all the flags that this is a scam. Um, right. This should definitely raise awareness of the types of techniques used to social engineer people because um, these types of scams have been coming in via email uh, all the time, but now you just have a more public medium um, that, that that's broadcasting it. So right. I, I think it's a right. great lesson to be learned across the board. You and know, alleged, look, I was like, go ahead. I was going to say, when you look at it, it, it is a kind of a classic uh, phishing. You know, someone's account gets taken over, then you share it with everyone in your address book. And uh, allegedly, uh, one uh, news uh, outlet reported that somebody put in $40,000 in Bitcoin into this. Wow. Yeah. 
I think as a 9 p.m. that night Eastern time, um, the amount racked up in one of the accounts was like 100K. Um, I, I think overall they, they might not have come away with that much more um, because it was so short-lived. But I mean, for a script kitty, if they bought that vulnerability for a low-level contractor for 5K, 10K um, to, to get that privilege, I mean, they, they made their money and more. Did anyone do a timeline analysis to see if all the tweets went on at the exact same time or, or anything like that? Krabs said something, but I don't. I didn't get to the. I read like you know how long his his blogs are, so I right. didn't get all the way to the bottom yet. <laughs> but he was talking. He's like screenshotted and showed you know the different ones. So I'm not sure if they all went out at the same time. Yeah, George uh, Brock has a couple good comments in here. Um, <laughs> George is saying because people were not tweeting, our employees were able to use all ten digits to get work done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks like they they all went out around the same time, around three p.m. Um, and it was identified within a, like a couple minutes, mm. so it, it really was a mad dash. Yeah. I would love to hear, you know, you guys, we all work in cybersecurity. I would love to hear what kind of minds would you employ to get to the bottom of this type of attack? What kind of diversity and skill and people would you want on your side if you were head of security at Twitter? That's a really good question. Um... To be honest, I, I would look at it. So obviously this is probably somebody outside of the Twitter organization, right? But you could also think of it as an insider threat issue. Like, let's say there was a possibility for someone on the inside, a disgruntled employee or something like that, to have access to this panel. And what is the worst possible thing they could possibly do? So then I would look at controls of being able to mitigate whatever that person could do from an internal perspective. Because if you can really look at it from what is worst possible scenario, worst case scenario from an access perspective? What then could someone external do? And then if you so if you put those controls in place, then I think you'd be better off uh, in the long run. But that's what I would look at. I, that's it. Go ahead, Chris. I, I would look at it from an um, identity management perspective, like mm -hmm. which identities should be touching these types of controls what level of access should they be getting should they be requesting additional privileges should there be controls around um approving these additional privileges and approach it like that and i think all too often um companies that have grown up with such powerful tools it's just easier for them to give god mode to everyone than to sit down and to think about the, the, the identity uh, life cycle of what's needed for privilege access management. And that's, that, that'll be their downfall. Yeah. And also the, the third parties that uh, companies that allow social logins use, like uh, they use OAuth2 to allow others to kind of impersonate a certain user, read messages, post on their behalf. So I would also like, uh, for me, in looking at security, I would also take a look at those types of things. I'd want someone on my side that really understands that. Like, was this done from the person's account through impersonation through a third party, or was it done through the actual account itself? Hmm. Yeah, 
That's a really good point, which goes back to kind of insider threat because insiders, you know, third party is technically, um, you know, an approved quote insider, you know. Right. Um, and then what I was reading earlier, again, with Krebs, he was talking about SIM swapping. So it does seem that it was definitely closer to the insider threat piece where, um, you know, it's an increasingly rampant form for people that don't know of crime that in involves bribing, hacking or coercing employees at mobile phone and social media companies into providing access to a target's account. So that's what it's looking well from, you know, from his the indications that he saw um, it was looking like it was an insider threat. And then and what's interesting is when I used to be in um, inside inside cyber in, in a security department um, versus in like an HR department. And one of my responsibilities was providing these threat briefs um, to the CISO almost every single one was something related to insider threat. It was either accidental or it was um, it was um, intentional, but almost mm -hmm. always. And the third parties kind of was a part of that because it's not truly, you know, it's not an outside, outside actor. It's someone who has access to your network and somehow either they're breached or you are. So, um, and I would hope, I mean, the Twitter is the type of company that would have one of the things that I remember doing a couple back back then when I was in that space was creating those run books. And like you said, that incident response team to be able to get on it because they were really, really responsive very quickly. Right. Um, so that was really positive. Like it wasn't days and weeks, like it was immediate. And like to your, to all of your points earlier, I think to Chris Cochran's point um, around it being so public, so they were, mm -hmm. they were, you know, it's one thing to be behind the shadows doing this, but this was public for everybody right. to see, everybody. Um, there's some great comments coming in here. Um, so let's see, engineering leadership should require rear admin overrides to have confirmation or, or um, automated revert. Yeah, and that comes into that life cycle, um, life cycle for privilege escalation and how much time do you allow, what from what machines do you allow, um, where do you allow certain privileges? And now it's it, with uh, cloud access management and things like that, you can have very granular controls as to when, where, um, from what machine can an identity even do something. Whereas in the past, it was all within the network. So it was really basic mm -hmm. that stuff is hard too I've, I've worked with a lot of organizations that try to find someone that really understands identity you know access and permissions in the cloud they you know it takes a aws google cloud whatever cloud you're using it takes an expert to really understand and get it right because oh, i've yeah. seen also where they try to get it right but then they're like ah oh, you know for this person they need it right now so i'm just going to give them you know, uh, access to this bucket and all of its permissions. And mm -hmm. that, that, that typically yeah. burns you. Yeah. Yeah. Some good comments here. I don't know if Jupiter Black, if I showed it before, but um, probably the same I, as I never, Russian Jews. Yeah, I don't like jumping on those APT rumors. <laughs> I, I stay clear as well. <laughs> so he's talking about that. Can't get fake news anymore. Um, someone else said a lack of security awareness training. I don't know if that would be the case. In well, 
I think it goes back to your your security. It does go back to your security awareness. Um, who's who's in line within your supply chain that has access to what tools? If you're using third parties, um, how aware are they of your security posture? Your um, the types of threat actors that are going to attack you? How closely do you monitor the insider threat of a third party supplier? Because likely their their help desk is contracted out. Um, so how do you control the security awareness of those contractors? Is it held to your same standard? Like, do you monitor that? Do you check in on that? Like, those are important questions to think about when you think of the overall security awareness of your organization. Because the supply chain might be the one that comes back and bites you. So I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I do believe security awareness is super important. But if somebody wants to get into your organization, they are going to get in one way or another. And so that's why you have to have defense in depth. So that, that knowledge, that awareness is important, but you have to have secondary and tertiary controls that can prevent that damage from going further than what it does uh, at the, the inset of the, the actual attack. You know, uh, one of uh, my good friends, and you know her also, Chris, her name is Dee Dee Dayton. She uh, talked about how when you use security, it's, it should almost be like using a building. Like, you don't need to read. Well, it's important to know where all of the fire escapes are and how to uh, securely and safely get out of a building or find shelter in a building. But you should also kind of be able to use security in the same way. There should be some awareness made, but it should be kind of a layered defense that takes as much responsibility off the user as possible. Tom says Twitter indicated it was done through employee accounts who had elevated privileges. <laughs> <laughs> I am. <laughs> Joyce says his team is made of CH people, people who love to hack things. So I, I think on that front, like, okay, so an employee account with privileged account i think this is where you're if a company truly has an insider threat program like what feeds do you need to detect this kind of activity was it a, a disgruntled employee was this right. someone with financial trouble was it someone with um behavioral issues like mm -hmm. not to guess what happened but like that's an important part of an insider threat program that even if companies had like hotlines and HR reports and all these things, they mm -hmm. typically never connect the dots between all right. these different sources together That's and true. don't highlight when something like this is bubbling to the surface. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and that's A the hard of, part. Yeah. Go ahead, Renee. A lot of the programs are just immature like their starts, fits and starts. So they may not, and they, they you know, might not have all the pieces to the puzzle um, put together. So just agreeing with Chris. Go ahead, Chris. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I mean, bringing all of those data points together is super difficult. That's why organizations are, are starting entire insider threat programs, because you have to pull this data from different places because mm -hmm. you're half HR, your half IT, your half security, all these places have data and you have to get it together to kind of paint that picture as to what is the potential insider threat issue that we have. 
Yeah. And when you look at kind of uh, that same thing and asking your own data questions, it's very difficult. Like I've worked with and been in the position where I, I'm saying, all right, are these two things related based off of X? It's like, no. Nope. Or is it based off of Y? Nope. And then you have to kind of keep walking that dog until you're able to kind of get to how two things are related. It's it's a little unfortunate that we don't have more and better tools to just be able to ask uh, the data question. How are these two things related without being specific on like uh, uh, a, another axis? George said, Chris is right. This is why we have controls on employees in and out of the country. This is why I put ankle bracelets on my employees. <laughs> <laughs> in <the team. laughs> oh, I'm sorry for his employees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he does have the ankle bracelets hanging out. I think this is Gina. She's, somebody said, should I feel bad that I feel so impressed by both the attack and the response? <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, right. as, as part of the post-mortem, you have to think about the ingenuity of the attack chain that went there so that you could better understand the tactics that real world adversaries are using and then how to better defend against that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Sure. <laughs> so Tom says, nope, it was a sophisticated attack. <laughs> I hate that word. <laughs> <laughs> you hate the word sophisticated? Yeah, because every time there's an attack, it's always sophisticated. But when you look at it, it was a simple phishing attack that um, got their creds, and then now they got access. Like, right. not everything is really sophisticated. I mean, it might be to those that don't understand, but is it really? <laughs> True. So Chris Sant says, I feel like this attack could have been a hundred times worse. Mm -hmm. Short sell stock market, fake an Apple breach, get the other accounts to comment on the fake breach, stock market bonanza. Or, or, or even like, okay, who has a who has a verified account in this country that can um, really make some massive changes? You 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 attack that account and that will literally cause a start the stock market to crash. Yeah, it could have been devastating. Devastating. Because yeah, they hit some, I mean, they hit all all of these really prominent people. I mean, Elon Musk, it, it was um, Jeff Bezos, Obama. it was all the presidents, Obama, Joe Biden. Did they get Trump? No. Does it count? That's the one account mm -hmm. that supposedly had a <laughs> 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 That I read. That I read. Um, they were like, this is taking it a little too far. <laughs> no, I think they had actually special controls over that account from what I was reading, that this tool could access all of the verified accounts except that one. Mm, um, so I, I think there's a, spe a special control around that one. Yeah. <laughs> For good reason. <laughs> okay, how often should security awareness training uh, be given in a company? And is it hard to get approval to get job rotational duties from management? I, I would say all the time. Um, use any opportunity of something happening as an opportunity for security awareness. That, like, like Chris has, a, uh, Chris Roberts has a whole list of security awareness topics for the year, whether it's March Madness, Valentine's, Easter, um, Tax Day. Like, th There's so many opportunities throughout the year to use one of those types of events um, to as part of your awareness campaign 
or you use stuff that's happening in the news. Um, use a Twitter event as a way to promote um, awareness for for um, social engineering and phishing campaigns. Use use any opportunity that you can. I, I would go the opposite. Only one hour every year is when we should do. <laughs> Just kidding. Tom Callahan says security awareness is important, but that doesn't stop this kind of attack. You have to break it down. If they did SIM swap and SMS was used for validation, then you all the security awareness you can have is debunked. SMS is proven time and again to be a secure method of validation because of how rampant SIM swapping is. Right. Uh, and and we all we all spoke about it earlier that um we agree that security awareness is not the end all be all. Um and that uh, having layered controls is important. Mm -hmm. Um and thinking of how adversaries use gaps and controls is important. So I, I think it's all part of a layered approach. Right. I, I love this uh, comment right here. Uh, I think it, that's 100% true, but mm -hmm. probably for a good reason. Yeah. Chris said it's harder. Chris Sant said it's harder to get a Twitter verified account than an SL, SSL cert. Wow. Uh, so Ben says, kind of agrees with Chris that Trump's account has supposedly has a bunch of extra protections. Namdi, my buddy, this is a good question. What does this say on our reliance on social media for news? Ooh. <laughs> yeah, when, we talked uh, for the rest of the episode about this one. Oh, this is <laughs> this is really interesting because uh, when we, Chris and I, uh, we met the creator of the news feed for Facebook, and he was saying that he had no idea when creating it, it was actually going to turn into a news feed. It was like more of a news feed for your friends. But now these are places that actually consume news and you know, content about what's going on in the world. Yeah. I mean, most people use their, their favorite social media site as their homepage. It's their, their hotspot for kicking off to the rest of the internet. And some of them don't venture past that. And that's where they, that's the only place that they get their news, um, which is dangerous when you consider things like uh, Cambridge Analytica and um, micro targeting of ads and things like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. or, or, or even like uh, we had Alyssa Miller on the podcast and we talked about deep fakes and we're going to get to the point where these deep fakes are going to get more and more realistic. And so then you have if you, you combine a deep fake with an account takeover like this, you can. Oh, my gosh. Like the the possibilities for destruction and mayhem are endless. Yeah, it's unreal. And it, the the sad part or the interesting part is that the the actual i guess real news the the news you know the abc's the nbc's the fox news all that stuff get their information get their news from social media too so it goes mm -hmm. both ways like we get it from them they get it from it's just it's so intertwined um and that's why you 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 literally have to check so many different sources because mm. who is telling the truth <laughs> What is the real news? Is, is it Elon Musk? Is it Bill Gates? Or is it Renee Small? Right? <laughs> <laughs> the mastermind. Masterminds. Hey, it's been Renee the whole time. Every single, right. every single account has been Renee. It's I scary. know. 
<laughs> I need to get Renee's verified just because that is where I get my news. Yeah. I'm not on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Danielle says, um, would a tool like, what did she ask here? No before be helpful. I don't know much about no before. Um, Me? yeah, I don't know if it, have you guys Same used here. it? No, no, I have not, hmm. but maybe it's, yeah. uh, it looks like it's for security awareness. Like maybe this is gonna, this could help take some of the burden off for those that don't feel as though they have the time to build some of that content out. Mm -hmm. speaking, speaking of security awareness content, um, like why, why is there a security? Um, I've seen some of their cartoonish, like very short clips of um, content rather than making you sit through your one hour per year of awareness. Um, they break it down into like 30 second, one minute chunks. Um, then there's a, another interesting company um, run by uh, Chad Lauder. Um, they take it to the opposite approach and they make comedy skits out of uh, security awareness topics. And I think anything that you can do to take it out of the mundane um, death by PowerPoint approach um, and make it align to your audience is, is, a, is success. I love the uh, security awareness trainings where they make the kind of awareness topics really interesting. Like um, sometimes, you know, it's about uh, very specifics of insider threat. Like, hey, did you know that Chris Cochran was sharing information with Renee Small and it resulted in this, which was a huge blow up in the media? It's like, oh, what? That's that's pretty interesting. But it, it, it can be a little mundane when it's uh, very robotic and and mm -hmm. not interesting or doesn't relate to you. One of the best trainings I've seen was at a, a museum in the Bay. And I can't remember. It's for kids. Uh, there's like several levels and you, uh, there's different technology levels and things like that. So if you go down in the basement, that's where the robotics is. And there's even a cybersecurity section. And you walk to this van and it's you're like, hey, do you want to take this challenge? And what it is, is you're basically an incident responder. And you go into this room and you have a computer and there's like a this is like, I'm not going to give away the secrets, but there are different uh, ways you can find the password. You figure out what happened. You figure out that someone got fished. You have to go through this like this exercise. And what was cool is it's for kids. And so now my, my eldest daughter, she's like, oh, OK, so this is kind of the stuff that you deal with. And it sticks out in your mind because you're actively doing something. You're not sitting there watching. Uh, a, a TV screen for for an hour. You're actually doing the stuff. You're you're figuring out all right what happened. What did this person do wrong and enable this attack? There's also a company that goes to uh, B side San Francisco that doesn't escape the room. That's like a security awareness training. It's pretty fun. Mm. It's like around 45 minutes. I think that's also a pretty nice way to learn more about uh, how to protect yourself and your organization. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> Uh, Chris, on the security awareness um, story type um, adventure, choose your own adventure. Um, when I was a, a contractor for one of the government agencies, they use they use um, a platform similar to that where they have you identify insider threat. They have you mm -hmm. identify phishing. All of that as you being an investigator right. um, for the agency, and you have to like um, find the clues and solve the problem. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's definitely a great approach. 
there was a couple funny comments in here. Um, oh, I wanted to add that when the one company I heard of, I think financial services, I don't know which one, but they tied theirs to monetary bonuses. So not only was there security awareness training, but if you like were able to prevent something, there was some bonuses tied to, um, you know, preventing situations mm. like this from happening or when you see something, say something type of thing. Um, so that was that 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 was working well. And I can't remember which company it was. Um, so if you click the link, you lose your bonus. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's not really a bonus if you don't have it, right? <laughs> but yeah, I've I've seen several programs that um, encourage um, awareness through financial motivations. I mean, it's one of humans' motivated motivating factors. So why not use it uh, to drive awareness? And mm -hmm. yeah, they use they did raffles um, at the end of the month for everyone that reported a possible um, phishing uh, email um, that helped the company. So, yeah. That's cool. So, Joyce says, I watched several places for my news. Harrods, BBC, News from Spain. So, all over. Um, Sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> I think the hard part is complacency in a company. It's harder to fight them rather than be proactive, which negates security awareness training. So just a lot of comments around the training. Tom Callahan has some really great comments. I think at the end of the day, assuming the access to the admin interfaces, which screenshots have been posted about, occur from a remote location, Twitter needs to lock down how and where you can access these resources from. Along with every other organization, multiple levels of access restrictions should be in place, not just a username, password, MFA. Exactly agree. Um, and that's what some of the things we mentioned earlier, like when, where, what time, um, what machine, are, are you on a mobile device? Are you on a Wi-Fi connection um, at a Starbucks? Like um, there's so many controls that you can add in now um, to provide that granular access. Um, some of the companies that I've, I've worked for have helped implement programs where if you're coming from a known hotspot like a Starbucks or something like that, you'll get view access, but you won't be able to make any any privilege changes. Um, whereas you'd have to wait till you either get back on company VPN or um, company campus before you can make any privilege changes. Right. Yeah, I've yeah. seen that a lot, especially when it comes to like accessing source code and whatnot, like you have to be coming from a specific location. I think that's great. I know a lot of people say VPN is dead and dying a slow death, but I do think that there's still use cases for it. What would replace VPN? Uh, using cloud web proxies, um, a lot of companies are, are setting up secure connections for their SaaS servers and you're doing micro-tunnels micro um, mm -hmm. to a, a web proxy versus having to backhaul all the traffic back to their corporate infrastructure and then send it back out to the internet. Sounds like you're just using someone else's VPN. You are. <laughs> just like cloud. It's like there is no cloud if there's someone else's computer. <laughs> you are. Uh, I mean... said... Go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. No, that's all I was going to say. 
George is hilarious. Have you ever wondered what's behind the curtain at Renee Small's house is access to a large corporation database. <laughs> <laughs> a large amount of bitcoins. <laughs> Renee. <laughs> it's, look, it's looking kind of shiny behind that curtain. So there know. might be a lot of bitcoins. <laughs> going on back she's, there. Uh, she's Scrooge McDucking it back there. You know? <laughs> Wait, is Bitcoin physical? <laughs> I used to, do you guys remember that? Do you remember there was the, the physical Bitcoin? Oh, man, I wanted yes. one so bad, but I felt like it got shut down like immediately after oh, I yeah. found out about it. And so I'm sure there's some out there. I, want, I wonder who's got them all. It's hilarious. The curtain is glowing. It is. Sunshine. It's just one big window. Next time I'll have the window wide open so you can see. She's oh, a vampire. She doesn't like the light. <laughs> Uh, Elijah says, but when you lock down admin portals like that, you lose accessibility of a very active platform. Well, that, that's where you sit down and you think about your use cases. Who really needs to access what? Bastions can replace VPN. What do you guys think? Well, to provide some background for those that might not know what a Bastion host is, it's you're remoting into another machine that mm. then provides you internal access. Um, but you have to have those same controls on that Bastion host, um, you, even more so because you're allowing that host access to the internet. Um, it, it becomes something that needs to be truly hardened. Right. And then you have to also maintain and, you know, put a lot of uh, kind of protection in place for who can access the Bastion host mm -hmm. and also who's accessing the Bastion host that's accessing this other resource. It's like a lot of a lot of tracking that you have to do. I think you have to have a pretty skilled team to get that right. Yep. Because Bastion host is on the outside of the network and it's, it's got to be a tough, tough machine in order to, to stand up to this, <laughs> to, to the, uh, the, the weathers of the open internet. <laughs> <laughs> people have jokes about my curtains so next week next time <laughs> curtains will be <laughs> i'm gonna get a green screen with a lot of money in there <laughs> ben says cell phone hotspots for only the work machine single ip addresses for allow listing and authentication might work but cell phones don't have a single ip address you're dynamic depending on which um, cellular network you're on, you can you can switch IP addresses rather quickly. So mm -hmm. um, you, you'd have to think about that approach. What can we do to secure ourselves? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is a hot topic. It's Bitcoin <laughs> watches. There's a lot We're going going. on. <laughs> <laughs> yep, the Scrooge one. Oh, man. This guy's funny. George, we got to bring you back on, but we'll just be laughing the whole time. Yeah. So, so yeah, folks, I mean, we've we've been at it for almost 40 minutes talking about Twitter. Do you want to jump into, do we, have, do we have time to talk about Microsoft? I mean, I guess we could not talk about job descriptions today. <laughs> well, so here, think about it this way. Um, I mean, the Twitter is just an example of a vulnerability. Um, it, it was the human layer that was vulnerable. Now you have Microsoft that has um, other vulnerabilities in DNS. And for those that work in the network space, it's always DNS. Um, but that's an inside joke. Um, <laughs> but um, no, I mean, 
when you approach the security posture of your organization, think of it from several ways. A, from a threat actor, what would they do to get into your organization? Then from a defender, what do you need to do to defend against that? And then from a user, what functionality do they need to do their business? Mm -hmm. And if you thinking as a defender will restrict too much their ability to conduct business or inhibit the business from functioning, you might have to accept some of the risks that a threat actor could come in because you need that business to function. So now you need to decide, is the possibility of a threat actor coming in via this way outweigh the risk of the business losing this functionality? And that's a risk decision that the business needs to make. Mm -hmm. Right. And you can walk it the other way. What are your critical assets? Like, what are the things that your company needs to survive? What are the most critical data points that your company is maintaining? And then what are what is the data around that? What are the logs that you can actually look at around that? How do you analyze those logs? How do you build detection detection logic over those logs? And then from then you be able to to identify those breach, breaches and attacks when they happen. Right. And that could also be why uh, Twitter was able to shut down the attack so quickly, um, just mm-hmm. because maybe they they identified their key resources. They knew, all right, right. security is always a function. It's always part of the business, and we need to identify what's the risk, what, are the, what is the impact, and how do we remediate and resolve that impact if it occurs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Elisha says, Microsoft vulnerability in the sky is blue. <laughs> Microsoft all day. It'd take years. It would. And it took years to find this one, too. (laughs) 17. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Ton of questions. So I think Jupiter Black has a good question, has a question here for you folks. How often should we run practice drills with a company cert team or replace, replicate various attacks to keep them on their toes? So, tabletop exercises. Oh, yeah, as All much as you time. can. And, yeah. But do it in a targeted manner. Like, don't just pull attacks from out of the blue attacking something. Really look at your, your risk registry. Like, what are the, the most prioritized risks that you have as a business? And build those tabletops and those, those purple team exercises around those. Think of your threat actors that are attacking your space. What would they do? Mm-hmm. And then emulate them as well because that's that's one way to keep them on their toes Mm -hmm. and i I would say it depends on the company and if they really have a cert team because most of the time it's just an incident response team of uh, a banded number of individuals from across the organization and maybe they can't resist doing it all the time but they, they should at least do it twice a year, I think, at a minimum, twice a year, um, and then do a really in-depth post-mortem after that to identify what went well, what didn't go well, how can the, the, the run books be improved, and what could be done to improve their overall posture. Yeah. Right. So so who's doing these uh, events from uh, you all's experience? Is it a red team? Is it uh, the defenders trying to break their own defenses? Uh, what's been you all's experience in the past? Purple team all day. <laughs> Purple team's the best way. Purple team's the best way. Um, if you left it up to the blue teamers, they'll never do it because 
the the blue teamers are so focused on their defenses and keeping operations running um they they usually don't have the bandwidth or the motivation to go out and break their own stuff um but having some purple teamers that can help you with with that thinking and working with the defenders that that's that's the best way question here what does it do to your company image to be in the news well, depends how you approach it, right? Um, incidents will happen. How quickly did you respond? So the black eyes on Twitter that this happened, but most, mostly everyone is saying, well, it happened, but they responded to it really quickly. Mm -hmm. They communicated with their users what was happening. They were very public about it. They let they made people aware all the time what the status was, and they responded really quickly. I think if that happened to another major organization and they responded just as smoothly as Twitter did, um, they'd be getting glowing reviews for handling it that way. Now, if they didn't say anything and then responded four hours later that it was resolved, um, it would be even worse for them. Yeah, I agree with you. Someone says here, um, <laughs> all publicity is good publicity, right? <laughs> That's what they say. <laughs> <laughs> that is what they say. But Elijah makes a really good point um, about stakeholders need to be active in those risk choices so everyone is brought up to speed rather quickly in an incident. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Agree, agree with you, Elijah, for sure. Um, and, and that's why part of your IR needs to have um, a cross-functional team from across the organization to help make those decisions. Um, you need security, you need executives, you need your lawyers, you need HR, um, you need your social teams and your, pu um, your public relations teams, because oftentimes um, you're battling two different fronts. What's the public image of what's happening versus the technical issue that's what's happening or the legal issue of what's happening. So you have to yeah. battle those two fronts at the same time. And in this case, you know, like we all said, this was all public, like it's showing up, whereas maybe in a bank or financial services company or some of these other companies, it's behind the scenes in the social media mm -hmm. space where it's all literally unfolding live in front of everyone. Um, definitely, definitely need all those different parties involved, like immediately. Right. With a bank, you might not find out for for weeks, maybe months that you're you've been exposed and your friends yeah. and family members have also been exposed. Right. Exactly. They have a longer um, period of time to, to get the statement together. But yesterday mm -hmm. it had to be like boom, boom, boom. As soon as everything came out. Um, all right, folks. Well, we are at the 45 minute mark. Any final remarks before we we jump? Because other stuff is coming in here around college students and internships we can talk about jobs and stuff next week yeah, yeah. let's do it yeah um my my closing thought for this week is um do ir responses from a holistic approach across the company do it often involve all your stakeholders my, my closing remark this week is uh stay up to date there's a lot of things breaking out and you know a lot of uh, shaking up in the news there's a lot that we can learn from it and just grow from so i would say stay up to date I would say cybersecurity is real. 
You know, some, <laughs> I, I feel like, you know, <laughs> no, I'm not saying this about Twitter or anything like that, but just as as a population, we get complacent. And so whenever things like this happen, it wakes everybody up. So I would say stay woke. <laughs> That's an awesome one. And I would add it. I think it's a really good opportunity for people who don't know anything about the industry to get in or to, to look at the industry. You know, my babysitter this morning was like, wait a minute, that stuff that happened with Twitter. And I was explaining, yeah, those are the people who I hire to help, you know, combat <laughs> this. So we had this this long discussion, which we typically don't have. And, then, and it's, it's hilarious. My mom is the same way. She's like, wait a minute. That's kind of who you like. Yeah, that <laughs> this is what it is, you know. So I think that this is a good opportunity when it hits a a, a, um, a platform like Twitter with so many young people on. I mean, people across the you know zillions, millions, and millions of people. Mm-hmm. It could really show, like, hey, this is a job opportunity. Talk about getting people into the industry. Like, this is fascinating stuff. This is what you could be helping to combat, prevent, shore up things like that. So that is my final comment. Break into the industry. Break into cybersecurity. (laughs) Awareness and stay woke. (laughs) (laughs) Stay woke. Break into the industry. Okay, (laughs) folks, this was fun. Great comments. Um, Someone says they want to hear about cyber risk management next time. We could totally bring someone in. We had some private, we had Lydia come in last week or on, not on this combo, but um, talk about cyber, talk about privacy. Um, so it would be great to actually have her come on to talk about privacy in this space. But in any event, this was fun, everybody. Thank you so much for your comments and everything else as usual. Thank you, co-hosts. You guys are always a ton of fun and love the perspective here. Um, so everybody see you all next week. See you next week. Four months in. That's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) all right everybody in my windows my windows will be open my (laughs) 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 windows open next week so y'all can see outside (laughs) the sun shining all right take care everybody all right take care take care everyone bye In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.